0: Ah, oh, it's so good to be home. Uh, we enjoyed a wonderful time in Colombia, and uh, you know what really helped me say Colombia? Limonadas de coco. <laughs> I ordered a lot of those, They're lemonade mixed with coconut milk and lots of ceviche and swimming in the pools, and we had a really good time in Colombia. The best was just spending time with family, great conversations, great meals, and just the whole time through was wonderful. Pretty much the whole trip went, went without a hitch except for we got delayed yesterday coming through Panama, which meant that we missed the snow day. And uh, it was such a bummer. Our flight was delayed and we got off the plane and they already had our tickets ready for a flight that was seven hours later. And so I was like, I don't believe it. And I ran to the gate uh, where our plane was and it, it was still there. And I was like, we were begging them, like, please, like, connect it back and everything. And they were on the radios trying to keep the plane back. And my wife is speaking in Spanish. And my kids were in tears. And it's like, um, and so anyways, uh, the plane left. We watched it fly away. And I was crying on the inside for six hours, knowing that I would miss the snow day. But how was it? Good snow day? Awesome. Well, I love that we get to do that kind of stuff. I want to give another big shout out to our staff and our volunteers who just put on such wonderful events for our church and for our community and it's uh, it's just a great thing to be a part of and it just makes me appreciate all the more to be home with our people and so and doesn't it look just so beautiful around here? We just have so many so many gifted people serving the Lord here. so Um, But hey, as you know, I love opening God's Word with you, so if you would please uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking today at verses 1 and 2. Only two verses today, but as you're going to see, they they carry a lot with them. Uh, Last Sunday, Pastor Rob wonderfully concluded Hebrews chapter 11, which was kind of like a mini-series within the book of Hebrews, as we were looking at various men and women throughout the Old Testament who lives of faith. And and we'll see today how that whole chapter really leads right into our text here this morning. Because after we've considered all these lives of faith, we now want to consider our own lives. We want to look within ourselves and see, am I one who is living by faith? And if you're here this morning, I I would assume that, that that's what you're seeking. You're seeking to live a life of faith. And, and so I pray that just by you being here, just by the very nature of you gathering together as the church to be here with God's people, that, that you will hear God's Word, and that the Holy Spirit would take His Word and minister it to you, and that you would have faith. And as the Word comes in, as the Spirit takes that Word and mixes it with faith, that today you would change a little bit more, and maybe for some a lot of bit more <laughs> into what God wants you to be, and and for some, that might actually today might be the day that you begin a life of following Jesus. I imagine that for many of you here, you, you already know what that means when I say that to follow Jesus, but if you don't, you're going to hear what that means by the end of this service today so We all want to draw near to Jesus, and in this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, really helps us to do that. So if you would join me, I'm going to read these words. It says here, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you because you are good and you are the founder, you are the perfecter of faith, Lord. And and we want to come to you today by faith. I want to hear your word and what it tells us about running this race that is set before us, running it with endurance, laying aside all that would hinder us from running well, Lord. And so, God, would you move today by your word and by your spirit? Would would faith be in this place this morning, and would you transform us by your grace? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me draw your attention here to the first word of our text, which is the word therefore. and. You know, I've had trouble determining which, therefore, in the book of Hebrews is most significant, most significant, and there's a lot of them. And for any of you who are students of the Bible, which we all should be, is we know that whenever the Bible says, therefore, we should ask the question, what is it there for? And what it's meant to do is to signal to us that there is a context that needs to be considered and it usually indicates also that there's some point of application here for the life of a believer. And so Hebrews 12 begins with that word therefore, and it's not the first time we're going to hear that word in this letter, and it's not the last time we're going to hear that word in this letter. And but if I may, I want to draw an application from from that single word here at the start today because what we know about the book of Hebrews is it's an epistle. It's a letter. That's to be read by followers of Jesus so that we would be instructed about what it means to live the Christian life. Paul says in one of his epistles, one of his letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are a living epistle. You're a living letter that is written by the Holy Spirit. And so if our Christian lives are analogous to a letter, then, then I want to run with this analogy just for a moment in, in saying this. Wouldn't you want your living epistle, your life, to be written out something like the book of Hebrews? What do I mean by this? Well, in my own life, I, I want there to be included a lot of their force, a lot of transition statements to define my life. Words like therefore, since, for, indeed, now, but, rather, consequently. Why? Because I want my life to always be changing, always be building, always growing in faith in Jesus. Because the book of Hebrews, we've been going through this book for quite some time now. And, and if you've been with us, you know what it's been doing. It's been building with convincing evidence over time about the greatness and the superiority of Jesus Christ. And if, if my life were a letter, that is what I wanted to say, that over time, there would just be more and more convincing evidence that Jesus is so great And he's far more worthy than anything else there is in my life. And so, therefore, in my life, if if it were a living, it is a living epistle, I would want that kind of building, that kind of growing, that kind of change taking place. And each of us can have that by faith. Look, we all have stories. And as I look out upon all your beautiful faces this morning, I... I know that, that not one of us has a story that is like another. It's, we all have different stories. And, and as we've considered over the last month or so, the, the men and the women in the Old Testament who live by faith, we looked at people like Abel. And Enoch and Noah. We looked at people like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. We we looked at Moses and Joshua and Rahab and and the likes of David and Samuel and the prophets, and, and we read even about many unnamed people of faith. These were people who trusted God at his word and they took action when it counted. We've spent time examining the lives of these people of faith. We we found them to be just that. They're they're people. Men and women just like you and me who put faith in a great and mighty God. And, And we've seen their successes that are presented to us in chapter 11. We saw that the successes were presented by faith. But one thing we noticed in Hebrews is the... Hebrews 11 is the lack of failures that were presented to us. Did you take notice of that? I mean, we got to see the highlight reel of faith, the glorious moments of these long lives. You know, I was just in Columbia for two weeks and, you know... If I were to take some snapshots of our trip, you know, I could be an Instagram influencer, you know, just some of the things we got to do, you know, sit in by the pool and drinking those limonadas de coco and just having a real good time and, you know, but but that's, that's like the highlight reel. I mean, you know, I'm not going to try to air out my dirty laundry here, but, you know, it's not like my two weeks were, you know, perfect and I was just, you know, when you're When you're in an airport for seven hours with an extra seven-hour flight, you know, things come out of you that are just not not faith, (laughs) right? And so we all know that we have failures. We know what David did. We know Samson's weak spot. We, We know what Rahab did for work, right? But why does Hebrews 11 only mention the successes of faith? it's because the just shall live by faith. Because the way that God sees people who possess faith is he's pleased with them. God finds no fault when he finds faith. Let me say that again. God finds no fault when he finds faith. But in my life, I've had many failures. I know, but... God is pleased by faith. But in my life, I've done things that have hurt people. I know. But God is pleased by faith. But in my life, I've not always trusted God, and I've doubted his goodness. I know. But God is pleased by faith. And not a single person here today can say that they've had perfect faith. This is a really good moment for one of those transition statements in the Bible, but God. There are many of us here today who would say, and I hope you would see yourself numbered with us, that in spite of our faithlessness, God has been faithful, amen? And since God can see whatever measure of faith each one of us has, if he has seen faith in your life, even the faith of a mustard seed in Mustard seeds are small. God is pleased. And so if these Old Testament saints could speak to us, and they have by God's living word, they would say to us that God has only ever been pleased when we come to him by faith to receive his grace because without faith it is impossible to please God. And that is what the writer of Hebrews means when he says here in Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So we just, we finally made it to the rest of the sentence. But the reason I spent so much time on that one word, therefore, is because of the power that can be in just one word of the Bible. That when you consider the therefores or the but gods or the, or the sense of the Bible, you would realize, wow, there truly has been a change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, since, which is another transition word, therefore makes us look back at what was said before, and since makes us look forward to what is being said ahead. And in that sense, we may very well say that this is the most significant transition in the whole book of Hebrews. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and so the writer is referring to all those people of faith that he's just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and more. The 18 that were mentioned by name and the many unnamed saints who have lived by faith throughout history. He refers to those people who lived by faith as so great a cloud of witnesses. And we're told that they are surrounding us as we live out our own lives. By faith. Look, this is providing us with this powerful picture, one that pretty much all Bible teachers agree refers to the scene of a huge sporting event, something like the Olympic Games. And especially because of the words that are coming next, which tells us that we're to run with endurance, this race that is set before us. And so with the writer of Hebrews, what he wants us to do right now is is to picture in our minds this huge stadium. So you have that picture in your mind, just a huge stadium? And think of this stadium. It is filled with seats of spectators, this innumerable company of people. And the people are all looking. They've all got their attention fixed down upon the field. And on that field, there is a race course. And we, who are living out our lives by faith here today, we are on that field and we are engaged in a race. So you've got to imagine yourself running this race. And there's this whole scene of people surrounding, looking upon you as you're running. We are being encouraged by this so great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. But before we talk about this race and how each one of us are called to run in it, let's talk about this crowd, this great cloud of witnesses. I'm sure many of you have been to sporting events where, you know, the crowd just seems absolutely massive, so big that you could describe it as a cloud of people, even a great cloud of people. And I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to take groups of students down to Angel Stadium uh, to go to the Harvest Crusade. Anybody ever been to the Harvest Crusade at Angel Stadium? It's, it's so cool to be in Angel Stadium and to see uh, people hearing the gospel. I also like watching baseball at that stadium, um, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and there are a few times there when I, I wanted to show the youth that I was with the, the impact that their faith could have on, on masses of people. You know, they would often look and see someone like Greg Laurie, or they'd see, you know, these artists and these bands that were down there and just thinking, wow, look at just the, the massive influence that they, the, these people have. And, and I'd encourage them to say, by your faith, you can have great influence on people. And so, we would do this thing called the wave. Anybody ever experienced this phenomenon called the wave? Well, what the wave is, is, you know, in a stadium, everybody, we'll we'll do it in a moment, you'll see. Um, (laughs) But usually it starts out with a few people, and so I would volunteer as tribute, and I'd get a couple of leaders so I didn't look silly. And, and we'd all get going, and come on, let's go. And we get our group of kids, you know, 30, 40, 50 kids going, and then they ring around them and going and going. Next thing you know, you, you got a couple hundred, and then all of a sudden, it's like, just going around the stadium. You, you, you did the wave. You started the wave. So who wants to start over here? Can we? Danny, <laughs> come on. You're on the end over there. Start it off. Let's go. Right there. Woo! Right there. All right, send it back. Send it back. All right, all right, all right. Cool, cool. I just want to make sure you guys all still engaged in the message. So, all right. So the wave, right? This great crowd, which is a cloud of witnesses. This cloud is so great, it it can't be numbered. And, And the thing about the cloud is they're all united under one thing, and that is the name of Jesus. And, and look, this scripture has been used to say that because these people are witnesses, they've gone to be with Jesus in heaven, they're, they're looking upon what's taking place now, it has been asked the question is, can people in heaven witness the activities of faith of people here on earth? Can, can To ask more simply, can our loved ones who have gone before us, who have died in faith, maybe a brother or a sister or a mother or father or a parent or a husband or wife, somebody who has died in faith, you know where they are. They've finished their race. They're with Jesus in heaven, but you are still here. You can't see them, but the question is, can they see you? And many would suggest from this scripture that that is true, that there's this cloud of witnesses that can see us. Now, the text doesn't say that explicitly, but I think the idea of that is drawn out from this text. And what we can say about this great cloud is it's great in number. It's great in faith. They are witnesses. The word comes from martyrs. These are people who have died in faith, and in some way, they surround us who are still living by faith. I have this really unforgettable experience where I was at a conference with my pastor, and he was talking to another pastor who had recently had their young daughter die in his arms, and she had gone to be with Jesus in heaven, and, and this pastor loved Jesus and knows the reality of heaven and knew where his daughter was, but, but these questions would begin to arise in his heart and in his mind. Where is she? Like, I, I believe heaven's real. I know that Jesus is there. I know where my baby girl is. But where is heaven? What, and can, they, can, they see, can, can they see me right now? And I, I remember my pastor saying to this guy, you know, we don't know where heaven is. Maybe, you know, GPS or whatever can't find it, you know. But here's the thing heaven might just be 10 feet over our heads i mean it's a spiritual reality it's a realm that is so real even more real than what we are experiencing here right now and 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 we know from scriptures that angels long to look into the activities of people who experience grace and it blows their minds They can't, they're just amazed because angels cannot experience grace. So that when they see one sinner repent, there's a party in heaven among the angels because they're like, what? This is crazy. And so the question is how do they surround us? Where do they surround us? I don't know. I'll find out. But in some way, this great, so great a cloud of witness surrounds us. And what are they encouraging us to do? They are encouraging us to run our own race that is set before us. They have finished their race. They have heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And they're just saying, keep on going until you hear those words too. So, regardless of whether those in heaven can look down and see us, and to be honest, I don't know why they would want to do that when they have Jesus to look at and the glory and the splendor of heaven to behold. But but regardless, whatever is possible for them, we should be encouraged to look to them as a source of encouragement and strength to keep running our own races with faith. Because that is what we are doing, we are running in a race. Looking back at verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, it's very common in the Bible that we find the life of faith compared to sports. We can find such things as wrestling or boxing, and the most common analogy is that of running in a race. And we can understand this analogy even if Personally, you don't like to run. I personally have never understood what anyone enjoys about it. (laughs) The so-called runner's high is a complete myth to me. Um, I've only ever experienced pain when I've run. And, and, you know, I I, I will run sometimes, but it's only if I'm running away from something or towards (laughs) something. So, uh, you know, running just for running's sake has never really appealed to me. But my brother-in-law, he loves to run, And when he turned 26, he decided that he would run 26 miles on his birthday, which is a marathon. And that is the last thing I would want to do on my birthday. Um, But every year since then, he has done this madness of running the distance of his age on his birthday. And he just turned 36. So for the last 10 years, he's been doing this thing. And and so I just saw him just uh, this last week, and I asked him, You know, how long are you going to keep this thing up? Because, from my understanding, is you know, um, you're getting older, (laughs) which means the distance is getting longer. And so, you're going to need some endurance if you intend to keep up this so called birthday celebration. (laughs) And, uh, But as we were talking about this, I realized how that translates so well into this idea of there being a race of faith, because I have found that the longer that I have been a Christian, the more endurance I have need of, right? So whether or not you like running, if you're a Christian, welcome to the race, Spiritually speaking, if you have faith in Jesus, you are running in a race, and the longer you go on, the more endurance you will need to have. And there's a lot that this analogy can speak to in the way we follow Jesus. The race of faith is going to take great effort, which will require great endurance. And and there's a race course that's already set, for, set out for us, but we need to run it. And for some, it's a sprint. It's a very short distance. For others, it's a, the hurdles. Uh, for others, it's long distance. I think almost all of us can relate to this idea of faith being like a marathon. And when I've spoken to those who enjoy running for pleasure, um, they say that the key to running well is preparation and being properly equipped. To be properly equipped and running really means that you need very little. Um, I'm sure you've all seen the tiny little shorts of the cross-country teams running around the neighborhood, right? Back in Paul's time, in fact, or the writer of Hebrews' time, you can decide whether they're the same people. The the Olympic-style games were just beginning, and the competitors would often compete naked, unhindered by the clothing of that time that would have slowed them down. And so going along with this whole analogy of running the race, we are told here in verse 1 that we're to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Laying aside means that we put it away. Put it off. Cast it off far from us. Get rid of it. If it's hindering you in your progress of faith in Jesus Christ, be done with it. Cast it off set it aside, lay it down. And there's two categories of things that can slow down your progress of faith. There are weights and sins. And weights are not necessarily sins, but they are encumbrances that slow us down from running effectively. And, and you know, my brother-in-law who loves to run, he, he has also run in ultra marathons, He ran something like five marathons in four days through the Patagonia Mountains. And and he carried all of his supplies either on his body or in a backpack. And, And so when he did this, he brought everything with him that he needed nothing more and nothing less. And the weight of his pack mattered for running that long, every ounce counted. And the Christian life is very much that way. It's, it's a long journey, so only carry what you need. It's important that we think of the weights that we're carrying. And again, a, a weight might not be a sin. A weight can, can even be a good thing, but we all know that too much of a good thing can easily become a bad thing. Most definitely, there are things that we would find to be unnecessary that we might be carrying in our lives. And so, if a so-called weight in your life is not helping you to follow Jesus, then lay it aside. Does that thing feel heavy? That thing that your soul has been bearing? You, you've discovered there to be sort of this excess weight that's, that's been getting in the way of your devotion to Jesus. It's been slowing down your progress. And 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 perhaps you've been making excuses because you're like, "It's, it's not a sin. But you know it's not helping you in your pursuit of the Lord. Friend, will you lay that aside so that you can run with faith more effectively? And I trust that the Holy Spirit will reveal what that thing might be for you. Perhaps he already has. Right now, and you need to respond to God's gentle promptings. If there's a weight that you need to lay aside, and you may already know what it is, or at least if you want to know, you can just ask God to show you. Ask the Holy Spirit, and he will show you what weights are in your life. Now again, a weight doesn't have to be a sin, but remember, anything apart from faith is sin. So if there's something slowing you down in your pursuit of Jesus, deal with it today. Lay it aside. And that's sort of a subjective thing between you and the Lord. What might be a weight for one person might not be a weight for another person. But then there's sin. And sins are those behaviors that are objectively commanded by God, which he says for his children not to do. And we most certainly need to lay aside sin. And sin is described here as that sin which clings so closely. And it, it seems that the writer has a particular form of sin in mind here. It's the kind of sins, perhaps, that, that we've allowed to be tolerable in our lives. The kind of sins that, that might be socially accepted you know no one's really calling it out we have sort of this mutual agreement that if i don't say anything about your sin you don't see anything about my sin then we're all good and, and there's this sin that clings to us and it holds us back from running with faith effectively and oftentimes this sin can cling to us so subtly that it goes without us even really knowing it but as people of faith We are to do spiritual inventory on our lives, aren't we? Will you dare to ask the Lord to reveal the weights and sins that are in your life? Will you ask the Lord to search you and to know you and to see if there be any wicked way in you and to lead you in His way everlasting? See, when God shows us the weights and the sins in our lives, were to lay them aside. This is this is a continual work in the life of a believer. I am daily, weekly, monthly seeking to do this work. And, and look, if, if the Lord were to reveal to us all of our weights and all of our sin all at once, we would be undone. Right? But day by day, By God's grace, he reveals weights and sins in our lives. And he asks us, what do you want to do with these weights and sins? Because notice it says that we... to lay them aside. We have to participate in this. This involves us having a decision of the will to repent and to turn from these, to put them away ourselves. And so the Lord's coming to you very gently and very patiently and saying, what do you want to do with these weights and sins? And by faith, we are to respond and say, God, I want to lay them aside. Sometimes that's hard to do. And sometimes the things that we have laid down in the past, they come back up again. And so we lay them down again. You know, Jesus said, how many times can you forgive a person? Jesus said, 70 times 7. If there's this sin that just seems to cling so closely that feels like, like tar on your body, you just can't get rid of this, lay it down again. Jesus cleanses us by his blood, washes us white as snow. Every time we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So confess. Confess means say with God. Say with God, this weight is too heavy. This sin, I don't want it to cling to me. Now, what I could do right now is I could go through a big, long list of sins and weights. And the Scripture has places where you can find lists of sins in hopes that maybe one of them would land on you and you busted. Just gotcha, right? But I don't need to do that. Because as I talk about weights and sins to a room full of people of faith, I trust that by the power of the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to show you what those things are for you. And if you're sitting here thinking like, I don't have any wage of sins, guess what? That's pride and you have sin. That's one sin I mentioned. But there's a whole list of sins that we could go into. But I imagine that for many of us here today, God has already shown you a weight or sin today. He's shown you what you need to deal with. And so don't wait for me to say what it is. God has already put his finger on it in your spirit. And it's God's kindness that he does that for you. Because he loves you. It's in his patience that he's looking for you to respond to him today. So lay it aside. God wants us, by faith, to see what sin or weight is in our lives and bring it to him and to do that work with urgency. Verse 1 t- tells us again, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So you're in a race. It is set before you, meaning that the race course has been laid out. There is a starting line. The starting line happens at your new birth in Christ, and there is a finish line, and that will be at your death in Christ or at his return. And everything that happens in that span of time between whether it's for you 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever it is, the Lord only knows, but you are to run with endurance the race that is set before you, knowing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And know that those who run in a race run to finish. And at the finish of the race, there is a prize. And it is of surpassing worth to anything that you may suffer for it now. So how can we endure in this race of faith? Because to have endurance, you'd all agree with me, we can't find that within our own strength. We need a power, a grace that is outside of ourselves if we have any shot at running well. We need to have someone who knows this race of faith better than anyone else. We need to be shown how it's done and to be equipped in the way of going. And so cue Jesus. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse two, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Can you think of better words to describe the life of faith than looking to Jesus? And, and I don't want to add too much interpretation to those words because a person who lives by faith is going to simply understand what that means. When, when, when I say, or when God's word says, looking to Jesus where, where we understand that we walk by faith and not by sight, and so even though we don't see Jesus, we love him. Right? And you can look to Jesus, and we look to him as the founder of the race of faith and the perfecter of the race of faith. He founded it because he designed the course that we run, and he made sure that you can run it too. He ran it first. And he perfected it. He ran it first, and he did it perfectly. No one will be able to match the way that Jesus ran his race. He is the forerunner. We follow his example. Now, there's something about this idea of looking and how it relates to running. And it's been said that where the eyes are looking, the feet will follow. I read the story of a man who set the first record of a sub-four-minute mile, something I will never do in my life. His name was Roger Bannister. On May 6, 1954, he ran the mile in three minutes, 59 seconds, and four-tenths of a second. Six weeks later, a man named John Landy came along and broke his record. What a bummer that is. You set the world record for the fastest mile, and then six weeks later, someone comes and breaks it. Well, John Landy came along, and he ran the mile in three minutes, 57 seconds, and nine-tenths of a second. And there obviously came about this huge rivalry between these two guys, between Bannister and Landy, and they ended up going head-to-head in a race called the Miracle Mile. And, And most of the race, John Landy was up ahead. He, he had the lead, and, and it looked like he was going to silence Bannister once again. But as he drew near to the finish line, Landy thought in his mind, where is Bannister? And he looked back to see where he was. And just as he looked back, Bannister passed him and, ran, and won the race. Where the eyes are looking, the feet will follow. See, the language here is precise when it says looking to Jesus. The idea is that we look away from everything else and we fix our gaze on Jesus. It's like horse blinders, right? Where there's only one direction to look and it's to look at Jesus. And the best part about Jesus is he will always be ahead of us. Because no one will ever be able to be Jesus's Record of the race that he has run. Jesus ran the true miracle mile. Then it goes on to say in verse 2 Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, being that Jesus is both the founder and perfecter of our faith, and being that Jesus ran his own race first this is how he ran. He ran because there was a joy that was set before him. And for that joy, he endured the cross. And our endurance of faith is connected to Jesus's endurance of faith. And as we'll see next week, this powerful scripture that says, in your fight against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And the implication of that is that Jesus has. Jesus shed his blood for us when he endured the cross. And what kind of endurance was required to go through crucifixion? Well, there was a physical endurance, for sure. There was an emotional endurance that was needed. And there was a spiritual endurance. Physically, Jesus needed to endure because there were nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and a crown of thorn pressed into his brow as he hung there on the cross, holding himself up by those nails, lifting the weight of his body just to get some breath, all the while with the emotional torments, with the mocking of his enemies, with the abandonment of his friends, but probably the worst of it all, aside from the physical pain and the emotional pain Think about the spiritual endurance that was required of Jesus on the cross when he hung there and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured to the end till he could say those words, It is finished. And when he said those words, he crossed his finish line. Because he paid in full the just requirement for the sins of the world. Look, Jesus is to us an example of endurance. But Jesus is so much more than an example to us. He's a savior. Many people have died by crucifixion. But only Jesus is the perfect substitute. Could we have ever been saved from the weight and the sin that clings so closely unless Jesus had died on the cross? And he has. Here in verse 2, we notice that the death of Jesus, that there was both joy and shame. Jesus did not count the cross itself as a joyful thing, But the cross was a shameful thing. One of the worst deaths invented was crucifixion. We we get the word excruciating, excruciating from the Latin words of the cross. And Jesus, the innocent, spotless Lamb of God, hung on that cross. Why? To bear the weight of our guilt and the shame of our sin. The shame was the cross. With all the physical and emotional and spiritual pain of it all. But the joy, the joy was you and I. Because it was through the cross that we could be saved. That we could be reconciled to God and come into a loving relationship with Jesus. And so as we think about the cross. And we think about the weights and the sins that we carry. We have an answer. We have a hope. And by faith, we can look to Jesus today. For some, it may be for the very first time. For others, it just means to just set your gaze again, to just look, look again. Behold your Savior. And where is Jesus now? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to him there today. We look to him by faith. And we're going to do that now as we partake of communion together. So if you would, join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this very special time that we have here to gather as your people. To hear your word. And now to be able to partake of communion. Lord, this wonderful... Experience where we come to the bread and we come to the cup and we recognize that your body was nailed to that cross and you bore the weight of our sin and shame and your blood was shed for the forgiveness of it, Lord. And we come to you today, Lord, thanking you, Jesus, that, Lord, you have allowed us to even enter this race. And we come into it today by faith for some, perhaps the first time, but for others, Lord, we just, we strengthen our weak knees, we lift these feeble hands, and we say, I'm going to keep going. My, eye, my feet will go where my eyes are looking, and so, Lord, we look to you, and we want to go, we want to go that way. We love you, Lord, and thank you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If, if there's anyone here today, and today is the day of salvation for you, you want to come. To, to be a child of God, to enter into this race of faith, you can come forward today as we partake of communion. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was crushed for our iniquities. The blood represents that which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so if you're coming to these tables, it means that you have received by faith this good news we've considered today and bring your weights, and bring your sins, and leave them here. You can do that work today by God's grace. So if you would, let's all stand up together, and just as you feel the Lord leading you and prompting you, you come forward to these tables. If, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, again, today can be the day for you to begin that life, but if, if you're not a believer, don't, don't partake of communion today, but if you are a believer, you come forward You partake of what Jesus has done for us and we'll worship together.